You're listening to the Accordion to Me podcast with Veronique Medrano. Hi, I'm Veronique, and on this week's episode, we get to chat with la mera, mera chicana, Dani Fernandez. Dani is a writer and actress who has appeared as herself in Disney's Ralph Breaks the Internet, as well as Sci-Fi's The Great Debate and other future projects that we'll get to talk about today. And as a writer, she has credits in projects on Netflix, HBO Max, and DC Comics. After our wonderful adventures in LA, where I got to meet her for the first time, I am overjoyed to have Danny on the podcast to chit-chat with me. As some of you know, early in 2020, I was in an accident. The consequences that you have to live with after can be a lot. You can lose your car, you can lose work, and therefore money. And you can, of course, be super injured and have huge hospital bills to pay. No bueno. So if, like me, you've been the victim of an accident, you need a professional to help you get the care you need. In case of an accident, you need a lawyer to protect your rights and your wallet, and you don't have to look any further than that simple phrase by going to the URL incaseofanaccident.com for a free consultation 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And if the person that suffered the accident wasn't you, but maybe it was your tia, or your abuelita, or something, don't worry. Everyone at In Case of an Accident speaks Spanish. They can even take messages through WhatsApp at 888-990-0911. So if you or a loved one have suffered through a horrible car accident like me, visit the team at incaseofanaccident.com for more help. Just don't forget to tell them that Veronique Medrano from Accordion to Me sent you. Content warning. Today's episode contains discussions of suicide, depression, and mental illness that may be sensitive to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, Danny. <laughs> Yay. Hi. Your space is so colorful. My space is normally colorful, but I've been like in the process of moving the last couple of months. So it's been, wi- it's been a wild time. This took two years to do. This was like a completely, this is a completely different like room. I wasn't sure what was happening, like especially with like not knowing whether I'm gonna go back out live to work. Of course I am, but mm. at the time when I was doing all this, I'm like, you know what? I need to set a space for myself that is very much something I can come home to after gigs, after things, and really just decompress and create again. And and. Like there's a little Topo Chico bottle behind me. For those who so don't cute. know, I'll, I'll put up a picture, but there's a stuffed Topo Chico that I bought in San Antonio from an artisan out there. Um, there's Love like it. Jack and Sally stuff because I'm super into the Night Before Christmas and so many other little knickknacks. It's, it's a wild smorgasbord of things. But I am just so happy to have you on and just chit chat about everything you. So... Danny, tell the people a little bit about yourself and how do you started um, with your desire to get into this like entertainment industry? Yeah, I honestly always just wanted to be a writer. So that's how I got started. I've been writing since I was little. Like I have journals (laughs) that I wrote in like third grade that were so angsty. Uh, (laughs) They were basically like the equivalent of Fallout Boy lyrics, but like before Fallout Boy was a thing. Um, And I used to live on fanfiction.net. I used to live. It's so funny you said Jack and Sally. They're huge in in the fanfiction world. Um, And so I was a live journal girl. I was the live, live journal. journal girl. Okay. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> Live journal and Tumblr where you would write your fanfic and just send it out mm-hmm. into the world. Those accounts don't exist, so don't look for them. <laughs> I, they are gone. They have been wiped. So many people have asked about reading my fanfiction. I don't even think I had the same name or like anything. Um, and yeah, so I, I used to read and write a lot of fanfiction, but it didn't, honestly, it's so funny. Like it didn't seem like a viable option, nor did anyone around me treat writing like a viable option. Mm. I remember my ex's mom, cause I was considering going into journalism was like, you're not really going to do that. Right. <laughs> you know, as a poise, as opposed to like being a lawyer or a doctor, um, I did end up, it's so funny. I did end up working at a hospital. I went a totally different direction when I was at UT. I actually did apply to their journalism program. I was so adamant about writing, um, and specifically wanted to do journalism. I felt I was really good at that in high school and, and, um, and I didn't get into their broadcast journalism program. I remember, I don't know why, I think there was, it's still to this day very important for me to be on camera, to be visible and be seen and not just be behind the scenes. Um, for me, probably because I'm a Gemini <laughs> and a Leo rising. And so I have I have a need uh, to like- That's so why we get along. So many things make sense now. My, my mother's a Gemini, you're a Gemini, I'm an Aquarius. Things make so much sense mm-hmm. now. <laughs> Yeah. So as a Gemini, I feel like I have that like brooding writer, you know, leave me alone, the introverted, like I could be alone forever, uh, enjoying my own company. I don't feel like going out. And then obviously anyone that follows me also sees like, she seems to be out. She seems to be <laughs> on these red carpets and like, you know, has to be Not the center of attention. You are the fashionista. <laughs> like I, you, I'm mad. EW, all you people, where is Danny on best dress list? I need her on every best dress list, period, point blank. So funny. I didn't. So at the Eternals premiere, so a lot of these, you know, being in the Disney family, uh, I also had hosted for Disney. If people are like, why is she always at these Marvel things? Um, I, I hosted, I hosted for E! at the Oscars. I hosted for Nerdist. I had multiple shows over there. And then I also hosted for Disney. I hosted press conferences for them. I hosted premieres. I hosted panels with the Disney princesses. And so anyways, you can catch me at a lot of Disney events. And, um, and at the Eternals premiere, I was finally like, I always just show, I'm not Angelina Jolie. She was in, you know, or Selma Hayek. So I'm like, nobody's paying attention to what I'm wearing. I can wear whatever I want, right? Granted, it's always great. It was the first time that I was actually like critiqued. It was the first time that I was, I think I was in Us Weekly and they were like talking about how great it was. But then I was also in this other blog site that loves to trash like women's fashion and and they just like, trashed my my choices and it was great I had a purple cape and then I later saw Lady Gaga like a month later wore a, pa- a purple cape as well and I was like so I wore this first Danny. thank you trendsetter Danny I that's why I said you're la mera mera chicana I, it mm-hmm. almost sounds like I'm saying mera mera chingona but it's both both, <laughs> both are valid because it's just like oh my favorite was the the avatar one like oh yeah you that, like that yeah oh, the water my that was like <laughs> my favorite i don't i don't think you were following me then my favorite is when they invited me to the lion king premiere and i wore a sunrise dress and it <gasps> matched photos. the sunrise in the first oh my gosh and it's like who would even do this it's because i always you can guess honestly this is my secret everyone 
you can guess what the what the color scheme is going to be. Like I remember for Force Awakens, all of the billboards were white with them in red, like dark red, blood red. And so I knew that that would be the vibe. So it's like pretty easy to guess. So anyways, I I wore this gorgeous sunrise dress and then there's a picture of me against and you know the first scene of the Lion King is the sun rising and the, so there's a picture of me against it against the sunrise that they had there so Anyways, it's I gave my secret away, but it's fine. <laughs> look, anyone who's listening for the secrets on red carpet looks, there was your secret. You got it. You got the nugget. You got to just go with it from there. Because I will you say this. You can figure my, out. Yeah. My first red carpet was at the Latin Grammys uh, two years ago. Mm, okay. And I, it, I mean, the Latin Grammys, they don't really change their colors too much. It's a red carpet, black, right, right, purplish right. backdrop. There's very few, there's very little to go off on there that, that's different. And so I had this purple dress. My hair um, was, was, I was coloring it a lot. Like every three months I would color it something different. It was like this kind of like sunset color. So it was like orange red pink mm. and that's what it was going into and so there I am and of course then I get on national tv but I will say this really quickly red carpets are a marathon oh yeah 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 I did not realize that go onto this red carpet break both of my heels both <laughs> These poor, oh my these poor high heels. I broke them both, but hey, I was, I was like, you know what? This is my first time. I will figure this this out. But it was crazy. I didn't, I didn't realize just how much goes into these things. Me being my first time, mm. but I'm sure you know this like very extensively. There's a lot that goes into a red carpet, um, not just what you wear, but also just what you're preparing yourself for, uh, because at that point, all eyes are on you. It's definitely the thing that my least favorite thing about Hollywood is how and and Comic Con. So I've been going back to like fan fiction and being nerdy. I've been going to Comic Con since I was eleven. Um, I used to go to collect anime <laughs> VHS tapes, and um, I was obsessed with Dragon Ball Z. I was obsessed with Tenchi Muyo and Gundam, and basically the whole Toonami slate. And um, that was on Cartoon Network for people that don't know. And I think it still might be on there. But um, anyways, now it's very Hollywood. Everyone goes to Comic-Con. You know, obviously all the major franchises and stuff are there. And so the thing that I was going to say about carpets is it really is, I like to dress up because it's kind of like what Zendaya said, where she, people would call her a seat filler. And she was like, yeah, but I always look good. Mm. And she never let that hold her back because that's definitely how carpets can be is like, oh, 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 but this person is more important than you. So they should go first and they should be in front. And I just think it's so we talk about that a lot about treating people like treating an assistant like trash. Not only should you not do that because they're a person, but also like that person could be, you know, the next Quinta Brunson or whatever. And it's so it's so common and often. So I find that fascinating. And it always happens to be the type of person that needs to feel powerful or important, you know, that treats other people that way. Um, and people that are solidified in their talent don't, they don't yeah. treat people like that. Yeah. They just, they just walk effervescently into like just mm -hmm. their, their power. And, and it's not saying like, Oh, I'm going to Lord my power over you. There's a really beautiful thing about, you know, yourself, Zendaya, all these really magnanimous women who just, they, there's this, with you, 
I, I, I know you were mentioning I didn't follow you at the time and I didn't because I I was I was a baby despite having like mm. Twitter for a very long time and social media for a very long time. I I'm, I'm such a weirdo that I'm on there and I'm not on there. And it's, it's like a struggle. It's a struggle bus every day because I have to be <laughs> producing stuff, writing stuff. And it's like now this market feels like you have to be on there every day. And I just don't believe that that should be the case. True. I agree with you. I feel like I waste more time. Like I, I feel like I waste, like as an artist and a creator, I feel like I waste, waste blah, 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 blah. I don't know how to speak. I feel like I waste 10 mm. times more time on social media than creating. And that that line of like you have to be on there all the time just doesn't make sense. To it's me not true. Creator. It's also you not true. I know Rami has talked about that. I know Quinta has talked about that. I think she she deleted some of those tweets like from uh, uh, a couple of years ago. But I think she basically was like, "It's funny." I think this was right before Abbott popped off because she said, "It's funny when you disappear." This I'm uh, paraphrasing her, but she essentially said, "It's funny when you disappear from social media and people think that you're not doing well when it's actually the opposite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when yeah. you're actually like actually working on your dreams, especially." I would say in in acting and writing like that yeah. really does I, like you have to get off for songs or for music I feel like there's a little bit of a, a leeway with that because like you have to almost always be online chit-chatting doing something else but I agree completely with that sentiment it's like they think oh well you're not doing this and the next thing you know they have a hit show on ABC that's why (laughs) I wasn't here that's why I wasn't here ma'am because I was making a hit show on ABC and I good job Quinta like period (laughs) Michaela Cole has said the same thing Michaela Cole has said the same thing I mean everyone I think even Issa has talked about it like clearly everybody that's been like a prodigy (laughs) making their own stuff um, because it's honestly, it's a lot of, I like Twitter for, for many reasons. I like being able to interact with people, but it's also, you know, we get so much hate coming at us. I could, I say something very innocuous and get a lot of hate. And it's always from people who are unwilling to do the work that I'm doing. They're not hustling the way that I am and they're unwilling to work on themselves the way that I am. So I'm like, why have I spent, it's kind of like the same way that I view cutting out toxic family members, why have I spent so much time and energy in therapy just for you to unravel it? I'm not gonna do that. So I actually deleted, (laughs) this past week I deleted Twitter off my phone and then just kind of forgot about it. And so I'll go back and I'll check because people DM me, but like, it's, I have definitely been, I turned in a deck for the show that I'm making. Like I did in one day, like I'm, I've been doing so much more work without being on it. I love, uh, like, I love what you're, what you're saying here, because it's true. Like there's, there's something a lot more than just being a puppet for everybody Mm -hmm. to be like, ah, this is me on, on social doing something. But it was, it's the fact that you're mentioning like your hustle. No one's hustling like you're hustling. And when, when I started to like just kind of, because as people, <laughs> you just, you try to figure out who somebody is. And I'm like, my God, like this woman is like, she's grinding, but you're grinding on multiple fronts. And so many times, even myself in the current transition that I'm in, and we had this conversation um, in person, but I, I guess I want you to, to kind of dispel this ideation that for some reason only gets put on us as people of color and not so much los gringos or the anglos, which is, no, 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 you can't be doing everything. 
You have to pick mm. one thing and just be good at that. Just just stick to your Mexican shit. That was I yeah. was told I was told that that one time when I was saying, oh, you know, like I'm I'm going into country music. They're like, yeah, yeah, just stick to your Mexican shit. We don't need your kind here. And I said, uh, it's music. Music Jesus. is very. <laughs> I'm not, oh, no, oh, girl, like <laughs> it's been crazy. <laughs> like, it's not just there. It's everywhere. And it's like, yeah, I for always, sure. I always get attacked as like if somebody figures out something about my past, I'm like, you don't really know me. Just because you know how I started in entertainment doesn't mean you yeah. know everything I've been trained in. And so I guess I'd mm -hmm. love for you to kind of expand on that because you are one of these just very like top of mind people for me that um, that is doing it all. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, <laughs> I think the nice thing about it, I mean, I just feel like from what I can tell from our conversations, I feel like we're very stubborn. Um, and I think that that is <laughs> a gift, honestly, being it's being brave enough to say, no, I'm going to do what I want, even if it takes longer. And it definitely does. That is something that I guess people should be prepared for. Yes, if you stayed in your quote unquote lane, it's much easier to sell yourself that way because that's how they, they know us or that's the only box that they want to see us in. That is still kind of true. A lot of the shows that are being made, I talk about this a lot, but like we don't really get to make like severance or yellow jackets mm. or, you know, I just don't see that in our community. It's like we have to make uh, blue collar immigrant family stories of struggle still, <laughs> you know, and we still, there still might be, you know, we might have a couple of, of outliers, but for the most part, it's a family story of struggle, right? For, for a lot of our stuff. And that's not to say that creators don't and aren't pushing to make other things. It's just that that's what the studios one think that will turn into. Cause that's, that's how they view us. They're like, oh, no, you relate to this, right? So you'll watch this. And two, it's cheap and it's, um, you know, low income. So it's it's just what they think is going to be most cost effective. They are unwilling to take a risk. And a lot of the stuff that we see that's doing really well is a big risk. Mm -hmm, um, yeah. Is creators getting to just take a swing because who wants to keep making the same thing again and again and again? So my the shows and stuff that I'm making are taking infinitely longer than I ever wanted them to. Um, my show that I first sold, I think I don't it might have been my first time in Deadline. Maybe maybe I had been in it before, but but my first like real Deadline article with me was when I sold my show to HBO Max in 2019. And that show since got dropped as other stuff actually that I've written on that wasn't even my shows, other people's also, people that were even bigger than me also got dropped. And it, and so that's always to say it takes it takes longer than you think it should. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, even just as we were talking about Quinta, Quinta is not an overnight success. She um, has openly talked about how she sold a show to CBS. She shot a pilot, I believe, with Jermaine Fowler, um, and that never went. She also was the lead of a CW pilot that ended up not going, and now she has Abbott. She also obviously was on a Black Lady sketch show. So I think that it's and came from BuzzFeed. So I think that that's very important to people to see that. No, she was here a decade. She's been here about a decade. Um, the decade thing and making a name. The decade thing is such a huge <laughs> thing because, like, I'm entering my decade. So, t so 2023 mm -hmm. is my decade. I'm entering my tenth year, and when I first started ten years ago, I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna have X Y Z, Elemental P." <laughs> By in five years, 
I, I at least was reasonably nice to myself. I didn't say a mm-hmm. year. But in five years, my whole life was so different. Like, I can tell you right now, five years ago, oof, there was no way. I wasn't prepared. Now, yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm prepared. But I'm sure whenever the moment comes that, mm. like, everybody's like, oh, my God, Veronique. Girl, I've been in this mm-hmm. for a while. And that's kind of one of those it's like the double-edged sword of the overnight success myth right? or what the public sees is that like they think it happened like one day to the next and it feels like that to them, but to the actual creator, it's like, no, ma'am, I've been grinding so hard just to get here. Yeah. So I'm, I think approaching my decade as well. Um, And so it's definitely the one thing that I, I have to, I have to accept you know, that, that's so much of my healing process is, well, when I look back to 2019, when I thought my show was going to go, I'm a much strong, I've now since written on three other shows, um, and sold other things. And I've gotten to work under other people who are, have been here for two decades, you know? Um, so I'm a better writer. I'm a stronger actress. I'm a more healed person. So hopefully that means I'll attract other healed people in this business. I like to think that (laughs) the more work you do on yourself, the more that you're able to attract the right people to you. And that's all to say when my shit finally does pop off, I will be even more ready than I was then. And that's just kind of the, the healing that and the acceptance that you have to do in this business. That's such a, powerful tool healing yourself and it it works on multiple levels not just like mentally and psychological like the mental psychological aspect but also the physical like you have to be okay that you know at a certain point your body is not going to be the body that you thought would be you'd have when you get successful and that Mm -hmm. is such a hard thing for people to really reconcile with (laughs) Uh, sometimes, including myself, like I, I've been on a whole like little cosita and and uh, trying to deal with pain management. And so I talk about that a lot because there's a lot going on with that, because when you get into something, a situation where there's like you have to heal afterwards, it mentally messes with you. And I'm mm. and I'm really like curious because I know that you had like a Facebook group. Um, Mm -hmm. for people in entertainment, for pain management. And that was just so amazing to me because we don't talk about it enough about how sometimes we get hurt, something happens, and it just changes our perception of how we can engage with the world and our art because the pain comes first and the creative part comes second, unfortunately, because you wake up and that's how you feel. That's what you deal with every day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I went through a tremendous, um, health crisis probably. It was like, honestly, like right when I moved here, which was not convenient at all. I was also the most poor that I'd ever been. Um, and those two things don't go well together, uh, being incredibly chronically ill and incredibly poor. And, um, I actually had to do a fundraiser and it was, it's very humbling. I know a lot of other people have had to do that. have had to do like a GoFundMe since then to pay for their medical bills. And so much of the comedy community and entertainment community, like came out to help me that it was, I was so happy that I asked for help. I want to say like, I know there's a lot of shame 
around asking for, I don't want to say just help, but also for money. There's a lot of shame around asking mm. for money, but honestly, our healthcare system is broke, is broken. Like I shouldn't need thousands of dollars to heal myself. Um, and I did. And so I ended up, um, I had Hashimoto's, which I still have, um, and also a lot of uh, inflammation and chronic pain that was kind of a mystery. There's a lot of, I know people that deal with chronic illnesses, it's so hard to get a diagnosis. Even getting Hashimoto's diagnosis can be difficult. And it really severely affects people differently because there are people that have Hashimoto's that are like, oh, I just take my thyroid pill and that's it. I'm fine. And I'm like, well, congrats. Like my hair is falling out. My joints are, I'm in so much pain. My thyroid is literally swollen. You can see it in when I'm on camera, like, (laughs) you know, and um, it's messing up my heart rate. I had to do, I had to see a cardiologist, so many different things. Um, And that's all to say, I hated people No one researched this better than I did. And I also think I'm now, I'm also the person that everyone comes to with health issues, uh, which is fine. Or they'll ask, like my friend was just diagnosed, can she talk to you? Um, And so I hated people recommending things to me that I clearly would have already have done. Um, like I'm like, I'm living in the most pain of my entire life. Like, yes, of course I would fall an anti-inflammatory diet. Of course I would be doing this, of course. And so that's all to say, that's why I made that private group. (laughs) It's about 150 of us. It was women, uh, in entertainment who have chronic health issues, uh, Lyme disease, Crohn's, you know, um, RA, anyone, anyone, you know, was in there and, I just hated, I just hated, especially men in comedy, like commenting on my business. And so I just needed a private place where I could ask for advice. We would trade, I'm still so close with so many of the women in there. We would trade pain remedies. We would trade doctors, finding a good doctor who actually takes you seriously about your pain. Oh oh yeah. It's a godsend. Yeah. Yeah. And so I have, I have my doctors that I've worked with for a while now, but anyways, that's all to say I was so, we all, everyone who deals with chronic illness has that person that's like, why don't you try this oil or go gluten-free? Like I'm literally, I cannot have gluten. I cannot have dairy. I can't, like I'm already doing, I've tried, yes, I've tried acupuncture. Yes, I've tried, I've tried all of the things. Obviously I'm the one that has to live like this every day and be on camera. So, (laughs) you know, the fact I can't have my hair falling out. I can't have my, my face would swell up. Up, my neck would swell up like it was just it was wild um I'm doing infinitely better now I still do with still deal with pain I know that we've mm-hmm. talked about I literally have my pain what I call my pain patches they are um the nicest thing about living in California is we're so cannabis friendly and I have to give them a shout out it's Mary's uh cannabis patches are a lifesaver <laughs> I've used every kind of cannabis pain cream serum patch whatever you can name and they are the best that's why i've told way too many people and they get sold out <laughs> here in la very quickly <laughs> i literally have to go on weed maps to look up mm-hmm. not even kidding my local um sweet sweet flower i think that's what they're called um they're pretty close to me and I used to be able to get Mary's patches there all the time, but I told too many people about ah. them, which is great. I'm glad people are are getting better, but come on, come yeah. on, sponsor my girl, Danny. She needs, <laughs> I know I'm, I need to write them. I need to, I'm like, I literally, I think that's so helpful to know. Like I literally use these. This is, I would not be able to be on set, you know, for 12 hours or 
be in a writer's room staring at a screen for eight hours. Like, I also think that we're, I was going to say, luckily, I think in entertainment, you are, at least where I've been, I have been able to be open and honest about my health stuff. In my last writer's room, I would literally sometimes, because we were on Zoom, I would come, I would look like a bug. I was wearing like green glasses because they help for migraines. Mm -hmm. Like looking at a screen was, and everyone was chill with it. They just cared that I was a good writer. (laughs) They don't care, you know. If I would be on shroom sometimes too, my showrunner, I just gave her my shrooms hookup. And so it was like, we're a very uh, interesting business. You're very eclectic. You know, whereas other places you're being drug tested. Oh, yeah. 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 And I mean, like, I, I will say this like, uh, there's something about finding a community in pain. Like, I, it's such a weird thing yeah. to say. Like, like I am finding a community of people who are also in pain. So this negative thing mm-hmm. that affects our life has joined us together, bonded us. And in a way, that's... Um, I always think of Frida Kahlo because she was probably one of the most iconic, like, you yeah. know, Latinx, you know, Hispanic women, um, however you identify her, um, who dealt with chronic pain and who was so vocal about it. And we've yeah. we've never seen anyone since talk about it. Instead, instead, we always hear the aftermath of chronic pain. We always hear the right. ah, you know, they they had the medication, but their doctors didn't listen. And that's what hurts is that you know that they took this medication to a point because their doctors didn't listen to them on their pain scale. I'm not going to assume anything about any artists or people who have gone through things, but like the fact that at end of life, you know, there's just these high dosages of pain medication and you already know that Mm -hmm. they've had hip problems they've had you know um you know lady gaga has had issues um you know prince had issues michael jackson had issues like Mm -hmm. all these people who are high performance artists and then there's of course people in who are writers and directors and and the list can go on but it's just it happens it's a real thing chronic pain and chronic illness is a thing it's not because we're less than it's not because sometimes we didn't do anything wrong just mm-hmm. it's just the it's just the the cards that life hands you and that's especially when you're in your 30s and i am you know i'm you know i'm in my 30s and i'm realizing that all these things that i felt i was invincible from I was invincible from diabetes. I was invincible. You know, I had my my thakis and my bullshit. I thought I was invincible from high cholesterol. Like all these things that you think you're invincible from when you're young, it catches up with you right as the clock Mm. strikes 30. Actually, it's when it strikes 25. That's when it started for me. But, you know, as (laughs) as you start moving forward in age, all those things start catching up with you if you don't change your life and the things that you do. And so chronic pain, I'm just a real big advocate that yes, people should you know, talk to their doctors, really advocate for yourself. And if you don't feel like they're listening to you, get a second opinion, get a third opinion, get a fourth mm-hmm. opinion if you can, because you'll find the person that will take your pain and your illness seriously, period. So, so yeah, yeah like it, it's such a big like thing. And so, what I wanted to ask is what do you feel is different from your twenties to now at this point in your life? Um, gosh, I think just working on acceptance 
uh, is a big thing for me. I think seeing bigger picture, I think even, yes, with my 20s, everything felt like the end of the world. <laughs> yeah. My teens, everything felt like the end of the world. Middle school, everything. I'm so fascinated by that, actually, is just like the idea that everything when you're younger just feels like it's the end of the world. And I guess you've lived through it enough times. Um, that's what I do have to say about like my flare ups, pain. I've talked about in the past that I had, I'm a suicide uh, survivor. And so, I mean, things literally were the end of the world <laughs> for me. And, um, but now I know how to deal with that more. And it, it's, um, Robin, my, uh, she's one of the Peloton instructors that I take constantly. She's like the only one that I, I'm constantly like taking all of her classes because she is, um, I believe she's Puerto Rican. She's amazing and uh, so positive. But she said, she always tells us that the world, it doesn't get easier. You just get stronger. Mm-hmm. And I truly believe that. And so it's not that I'm not suicidal anymore because suddenly my life is easier. Uh, that's not true. I'm still healing tremendous childhood trauma. I'm still in a very toxic <laughs> entertainment business with a lot of horrible awful men uh that myself and other women have had to deal with unfortunately and be public about and also be private about and like it's it's really messes with your head that's all to say i have new problems now than i did maybe a decade ago the problems didn't go away they just changed Mm. but i am such a more i'm so validated in myself that i don't need as much validation from outside sources and then and your creativity then changes because so much of us whether we want to realize it or not we chose this because we kind of do need validation we like being on stage you know we like performing if we were performing for no one it wouldn't feel the same it doesn't feel as good Mm -hmm. we kind of crave that validation it feels really good when people cheer us on um and yet and yet I'm at a stage now where it's like how can I take joy in my work regardless of that's so much of this business <laughs> because what everyone sees is 1%. It's the truth. I mean, it's as cliche as it sounds, everyone is going to see 1% of your work. Like when I look back at the show I sold, nobody's going to see that, you know, and the other stuff that I made that Danny though, will go into a new show. Like no one will see that CBS pilot that, that Quinta made. I'm sure it was great. It just wasn't, it just wasn't meant to be. Um, they see the 1% <laughs> of, of the work that you actually do. So how can you enjoy all the 99% that isn't for the public? That That's true. That is not for the public consumption. How can you enjoy yourself and be so, and so I've been just, I don't know, I guess the pandemic really forced a lot of us to be alone And I think I was one of those people that some of my friends, I think they went the opposite way where it was just like dating a different person every single week, Um, which I think can be unhealthy if you're not, if you're doing it for certain reasons. Um, Whereas me, I doubled down on Danny, just like how can I love her so much that whoever is going to be with me or whoever I'm going to collab with, they have to be bringing the same the same energy, the same healing or whatever to the table. You know that little emoji of the wallet with the wings on it just flying away? Well, that's me right now. I'm the advertiser. This is an ad for me, Veronique Medrano. 
Go listen to my music. I have a bunch of it. This isn't a joke. Go listen to my music on your favorite streaming platform. New songs out now are Malojo featuring El Dusty and DJ Kane and Mezcal Maria featuring Beatriz Gonzalez. Or you can buy a physical CD. Are those still a thing? Okay, I'm being told they are. So go to my website, veroniquemedrano.com to go get one now. And listen to it at your mom's house, because I'm sure she has a CD player. This has been your paid ad. In my 20s, I was a hot-ass mess. I was at, by 25, I was engaged three times. And um, three different people, not the same person. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, and after that third one, um, I was wrecked. And I, and mind you, like the public didn't see it. That was not for public consumption. I learned very quickly after the first engagement. um, Actually, it was after the second one. I take it back. The first one, I wasn't wasn't in entertainment. It was after the second one that I was just like, you know what? I'm not, this is not for public consumption. This is not for public comment, contribution, nothing. Um, I know other artists can, can make a lot of money off of it. I will just keep their names out of everything because... Mm-hmm. It was very clear to me that something I was I was searching for something. I kn- I knew that I knew that. Did I mm. want? Did I? Um, I was like DW. I can't read that sign. I don't care what it says. I wrote the <laughs> sign, mind you. I wrote the sign for <laughs> me to read, and I didn't give a shit. And it, it that's kind of what it is in your twenties. Like you know the answer. The answer is very clear. It is not hidden from you. But at least for me, I still didn't give a shit. I still didn't want to Mm. believe that that was the answer, that it was that simple because this ideation of, Oh, it's okay. It it, like love is complicated. Life is complicated. Um, Things are just complicated. And it took, um, this was before, you know, you know, the, the pandemic, I just decided after that third one, I would just date. And I saw myself, like I saw the pattern of my, Mm-hmm. of my clingingness and and I was and I was fighting myself. It was like it was the two wolves, man. It was two wolves. Hurry up and get married to somebody. No, you stupid bitch. You need to be alone. Like <laughs> like uh, those two wolves were fighting so bad and by the end of it, you know, I I stayed by myself. Um, you know, I had some really deep conversations with people um that I never expected, honestly, and it really just changed my perception. And sometimes that just needs to happen. I, I love any time I hear that somebody's figured that out sooner than I did because that means that the, <laughs> the shit's healing itself, that women are, are sometimes figuring it out. Young women are. but I, They really are. But I yeah. want to say for all the young women who haven't figured that shit out, it's okay too. Just know mm-hmm. that sometimes it just it takes time. It takes time yeah. to just figure it out. And that is okay too. Like it's wonderful when people figure it out. And it's also a process for people who just need that extra time because it's just, it's, I bring it back around. Sometimes it takes 10 years for you to just figure out shit so that you can be a successful person personally. And I wasn't, I wasn't ready for shit at 19. I wasn't ready for anything at mm. 20, 21. I was not ready. And when you're ready for something, suddenly things will just smoothly happen. And at least Mm. that was my experience. Like it just, it was just really smooth. 
and things that just felt nasty and uncomfortable and like, ugh, bleh, just, I, I just completely like, just pulled back all of my energy from. And yeah, it, it's just, it's a wonderful feeling when you are that empowered, but it does take some time. Yeah. And so with that, you know, you're, you're talking about like just going into that inner Danny and there's a lot of, uh, I think around like looking at your inner self, did you ever find like catch yourself trauma dumping inadvertently? Oh, for sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, so much of my, <laughs> so much of my work <laughs> I feel like is in my bonding and absolutely. And Twitter, like, I think that's how I got a big following was I would trauma dump. Like my, my jokes were very dark. Um, people would, <laughs> comedians would write me and be like, this is really funny. Also, are you okay? <laughs> um, <laughs> You're like, ma'am, do we need to call someone? Do we need to hang mm -hmm. out? Do we need to, do we need to grab a bite and talk? My pilot that I became, like my script that went around town that I became known for, the one that I sold was about life after my suicide attempt. So I was definitely, for sure. And I, I think what I was going to say that kind of connects to what we were just talking about is I feel like whenever you're gripping, when you're like, I, I, I have to have this, I have to have someone, I have to be in a relationship, I need to be with someone or I need, anytime you're gripping like that, it really is just so much of you need as corny as this sounds, I think it's only corny because of how um, bastardized this term has been used, but it's just the, this amount of self-love that only you can give yourself. And the more, and I literally, to this day, I will stop and I'm like, if there's an audition, it's like, well, I really need this and it could change my life and all that. And I will stop and I'm like, I just really need more love right now. That's what that's telling me. Because like I've said this before, but like a job can't make me more worthy. I don't think just because you're in a franchise, it means you're more worthy or valuable on this earth than I am. I also think just because we're in, in entertainment doesn't mean we're more worthy than, you know, people that are working in other fields. And anytime I grip like that or like, oh, this relationship, but it has to work and I need it to, I just need more love. To me, that's my younger self who didn't get that screaming out and I need to tell her it's okay you know um and then also my current self there's no way that not getting this job that I would lose any value mm. um so getting this job I also don't you know suddenly become more valuable I am the most worthy that I'll ever be and that's really hard for people to grasp it was so hard for me to wrap my head around it um, but the, what I realize is we're born, like, it's really easy for me to look at my niece and nephew and I'm not going to be like, nah, she's not, she's not valuable yet <laughs> until she can, she can contribute to society. That's a very capitalistic, that's what I'm trying to get across to people. It's such a capitalistic way to view. Also, if we're talking about ableism and chronic pain, that's how we view people. The work that you do is how valuable you are. That's how society views us. And I'm over here like, but what about the times when we were just like before all of this, when we were making our own food and hanging out like in the jungle to get like, like before all of this, you know, um, before we decided like you had a credit score and shit. And so that's all to say my niece, as she gets older and older, she doesn't lose value. 
I never lost value. I just lost my ability to see it because as you get older, more and more people are putting shit on you. You're realizing, oh, I don't look like Britney Spears and and Jessica Simpson and Christi- like the, the women that I, I grew up watching. I don't look like them and I'm not doing this and I don't see people like me on TV. And you're, you're told how valuable you are, but you never lose that. And so our whole life, all we're doing in therapy and all, like this is the magic trick, all we're literally doing is cleaning that mirror so we can see our value again. That's literally all we're doing. It's gotten cloudy and dirty and full of other people's opinions, like on Twitter, like, you know, on on, on these other social media apps. So that's, it's as easy and as hard as that. Even in person with industry, yeah. like, like you get people that are coming up to you and you're telling them what you're doing and that you're actually really successful in it and they question it. And it's like, ma'am, I am ex- like, but then it, co- like it, it immediately inadvertently uh, makes you question what you're doing. And you're like, wait, what the fuck? I, I'm successful. Like, wh- what is going on here? Why am I even engaging in this? But it's because we're human. Like, mm-hmm. like we're we're open to, you know, these critiques and these things that are happening, like just these conversations we have with professionals and our peers in the industry. And we question it because we're like, oh shit, maybe, maybe they're right. Maybe this is not the right way to go. And sometimes like the, uh, the ridiculous amount of confidence that you have to have um, and that you just have to, uh, you have to wear every single day to say, no, this is, this is what I'm doing. Uh, You can either get on the train or you can stay at the station. Like, I'm not going to sit here and, and, and validate or, you know, unvalidate anything that I've said or done. And that takes a lot of strength. Um, so for anyone who's already doing it, sweet. And for those and for those who are not, it is okay. Like, it, it's, it takes a lot. But I'm just, I, yeah, but I just have to, I just want to say, like, as a suicide survivor, putting your worth in your work is a recipe for disaster. Mm, it is. Yeah. That is one of the, that is why we see so many musicians and entertainment people offing themselves. It's it's because we have to put that worth back into ourselves. That's what I mean about like time. Like, so now we're seeing, you know, Oscars going rightfully so to the cast of everything, everywhere, all at once. Yes. And if they, but if they had tied it in, you know, it, what is keeping them going the years when they didn't have work? You know, it has to be this self-preservation, like self-worth, because if you only think you're worthy, if you're successful, you're going to have years out here where you're not. It just happens to everyone. Mm. And that's the quickest way, I think, to spiral. You have no control over that. You have no control over casting picking you. You just don't. You could do your best fucking job in the world, and it doesn't matter because they want Chris Evans, and they were going to pick Chris Evans from the beginning, and I'm sorry you're not Chris Evans. And that happens, and that's why I'm so adamant about not putting your value in the jobs that you get because as a suicide survivor, I think that's one of the quickest ways to spiral out of control. You have no control over that. And, and to top it all off, it's sometimes the art that you make, you should just enjoy it. Enjoy the journey of creating the artwork. Don't, don't it, like, yes, enjoy it. But I, I don't know if, if this kind of comes across. The words of affirmation from other people are great, but they're not always going to be there. So right. the creation of the work, if that is bringing you joy, remember that. 
remember the joy of creation and, and doing the thing because sometimes like you said there will be lean years there will be mm -hmm. years when it, you're just not the one yeah but you already know what your worth is you already know what the value is of your creations and, and what you put out to the world and of course it's easier said than done but it's it's still a very valid point yeah i just have to go back to when i was healing myself to make sure that i never get back into that space of, of being suicidal it's it's what is my value outside of my work if i never worked ever again i'm still innately valuable my life still has value and that is what i'm trying to get across and that's a very hard conversation to have in our business it's very hard for people to grasp because i literally said this on another podcast and people argued with me about it and that's how much work we have to do they're like no but like as i'm learning new skills i'm like right but if i never worked again if something happened and i just couldn't work are you telling me my that i don't i shouldn't be alive anymore like that literally that's conversations that my therapist would have with me she's like if you if you never book anything are you saying you don't want to be alive anymore like that that's a scary place to be in. And that's actually a lot of our business. I think a lot of people feel that way. And we need to start having these conversations because it feels like every single week we lose someone to suicide. And we have to get to a place where, yes, I'm, I, I love that I'm being seen. I love that I'm doing this work. But truly, can I accept myself outside of my work? And can I find innate value in myself that is outside of the entertainment business? for my own health and safety. So yeah, this got really heavy, sorry. <laughs> it makes me emotional to think about that because I think that was one of the biggest reasons why I, I decided to continue my education and I'm still probably gonna do it again. Um, you know, I got my master's in, in information sciences because I just wasn't sure. I wasn't sure where I was going to next. I know that I've trained all of my life, and it sounds very daunting to say that, <laughs> but I've, I've, I've trained most of my young adult life to be a singer and a performer, but there came a point where it's like, I'm so physically exhausted from providing for everyone outside of my music that what can I, who am I now? And I, and I couldn't, I was trying to wrestle so hard with that idea of what is my worth mm. if I can't move my body anymore because I couldn't move my arm. There was so much pain. And I just, and I was constantly in the hospital for something new. Chronic illness really, really busts mm -hmm. your head. And it feels never ending. And it feels so dark. And I'm going there right now. I'm going there right now because I'm not a perfect person. Mm -hmm. Like people see, oh, you know, she's always smiling. She always has her colored hair. She always has this. She's always a, like, I want to give to the world. It was some a really deep conversation I had um, with somebody about energy. And I know that when I get on stage, there's an energy that I want to give to the world. But it's also an energy that over the last four to five years, I had to give myself. And now I'm able to give it out again. Mm -hmm. But for that amount of time, I had to like fake it till I made it. And when I was faking it, I would go home and just be completely drained. Um, I'm very fortunate that I have family and friends and like just a very close knit group of people who love and care about me. 
but it's still sometimes it's not enough like sometimes i i really have to to dig deep and i just i just remember the pain waking up every morning trying to figure out like my performance style i went on tour for the first time in a while like an actual like three different cities all close together and just having immediately like there was two dates i immediately had to go back into the doctors and get injections and adjustments and like and that is so exhausting it was so exhausting it was so exhausting but this is the things that we do to provide entertainment but is it easy no it's not do i love what i do yes but I'm not going to sit here and tell you that every single performance, every single thing comes without some type of, of sacrifice mentally. And so that's why I, I was telling you in the beginning, you know, I create a space for me that when I have to like pull away, especially right now where, you know, there's not too much stuff going on. Um, I can decompress and reset for myself. And then I can go out into the world. But it took some time. It took a lot of time. And and it and it is a deep conversation to have. And, and it's an emotional one to have. Because chronic pain is not a joke. We push it off. We And chronic illness isn't either. We push it off. We say, eh, whatever. Like, you know, my, and I, I've heard this a lot. Somebody else has it worse than me. I'm not going to worry about it. Like, I, I don't want to take from someone else. I don't want to ask for help, like you were saying earlier. Like, no, 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 no. Like, my thing is so diminished compared to what's happening. And it was like, it was my mom and my friends that are close to me, like I said, like going, Veronique, please don't. Like, please, please fight for yourself. Like, we know what chronic pain looks like at six. Like, my mom's, like they said, you know, we know what chronic pain looks like at 60. You're 30. Take care of it now. You will thank yourself for it later. And it's having that really honest conversation with my parents that really helped guide me. But I know not everyone has that. And so if you're listening to this right now and you have chronic pain and you're like, you know what? It, it's not that big a deal. Take care of yourself. It is important many years from now, it will be something that you look back on and you're like, shit, I should have taken care of it sooner. Don't wait. If you can, just take care of it. Given the content of this week's podcast, we here at Accordion to Me want to give you some helpful tools if you or someone you know is going through suicidal thoughts, depression, or a mental health crisis. You can call or text the following 988 Suicide and Crisis Hotline. Dial or text 988, as well as texting the Crisis Text Line. Text HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741741. You will reach a crisis counselor 24-7 to the Crisis Text Line. Thank you all. Puro amor, puro besos. Now back to the episode. Yeah. I think too, a couple of different things is one, I think it makes you as unfortunate, you know, something that I've learned being a survivor is that it's, there's a whole community, 
you know, you're, when we say you're not alone, <laughs> I always joke, but you're quite literally not alone. There's so many of us um, that are going through this. And that's very helpful to me. That's one. And, and also just very relatable. I think that as open and honest as I am about my pain and my past, like, I don't know. I think there's a reason why, why it, so many people support me. So many people share my work. So many people resonate with that. They don't resonate with having an easy life. They don't resonate with having a pain-free life or, you know, having celebrity parents or being a millionaire. Like (laughs) they relate to me (laughs) and they share my work and they're rooting for me. And so I also, this was something that I, one of the things, if you were talking about the difference between our twenties and our thirties, I learned (laughs) as painful as this is, um, Rock bottom to me is is a redirection. Mm. Rock bottom is a clean slate. I mean, you're really in, in tarot. We we see it as the tower card, and it's literally for people that don't know. It's people like jumping, like falling out of a burning, like falling, crumbling uh, yeah, tower, falling out of a burning building. <laughs> yes, it's the worst thing in the world. Your whole life is crumbling around you. Yeah, and I started to ask myself. If I believe that I deserve good things, I'm very spiritual and I I believe innately that the the universe is looking out for me as much as it feels like it's not sometimes. Um, I have to believe that. I have to believe that there's a little bit of luck. There's a little bit of magic in why I am some of the things you read off. Who gets to be a Disney character of themselves? No one. I did. Who gets to sell a show to HBO Max about their suicide attempt? (laughs) I did. You know, it was a comedy. Um, It was very therapeutic and healing, but who gets to do those things? And so I have to believe that there's a... And that's all to say, now when things get sideswiped from me, I look at it as maybe this is a a redirection Mm -hmm. into the the place that I actually am meant to go. Into the... Like, so this is all to say, if I hadn't had my rock bottom moment, would I have done all this healing work? And, and so when I, so when I get to where I want to be in my career as an actress, that's why we see a lot of actors and they have everything and we can't believe that they're throwing it all. They're making dumb decisions, doing horrible shit. Not saying I would do that because I I still to this day don't think I would even if I, if I hadn't done the sheer amount of healing, but I probably would have crumbled at a bad time. I probably would have crumbled at the top and instead this is something that a healer explained to me because I was like, I don't understand some of these bad people. I'm a big karma person. I think I need to believe in karma just for being a woman and yeah. and uh, the justice that I have to believe is coming is out there uh, for people that haven't gotten it yet. And I was asking a healer once, I don't understand some of these people that are shooting up to the top. They're yeah. They're not good people. You know, we see this. We see this. The public sees some of the people that have been outed. We see a lot of the people behind the scenes that it's just Still haven't gotten either. It yeah, and people ask why haven't you, why haven't you done it? Well, sometimes it's not my story. I'm literally not the victim. It's not my place, and I would be placing them in jeopardy doing that. I want to say that. And other times, we literally have we literally have gone to a lawyer or gone to um, HR, or gone to an executive, or gone to the studio, or gone to the WGA, gone like. There are things that you don't know privately. Normally when things hit Twitter, it means, oh, this is all hands on deck SOS. Like this is just the only way because Twitter is not the best place to out someone. Let me tell you as someone that's had to do it on there. And that's, I think that's the last case effort. So anyways, I asked this healer and I said, why? 
And she said sometimes people have to take, they get the elevator all the way to the top just for it to drop them to the bottom because that's the only way that they'll learn. Some of us learn as we're going up, not saying that we've done horrible things, but we're just learning. Like you said, I'm, I'm so codependent. I have to be with a partner. I have, you know, and that crumbles on your way up. And that and that's nice because you get to work on it outside of the public eye. And some people just have a different life plan where they go all the way to the top and then we all see it. And it's in every magazine and it's in every, <laughs> when they it's fall everywhere. apart. Mm-hmm. It's everywhere. And so my rock bottoms and my... Um, suicide attempts. Thank you so much, Danny, for joining us on the Accordion to Me podcast. And as always, everybody, puro amor, puro besos, puro text mix. Bye. My current condition, one more second longer. It was a redirection. It was literally a cry for help. And it forced me to get helped. And it forced me to get on the path of healing myself or I wouldn't be alive. Um, and for anyone listening that deals with mental health issues, that deals with suicidal ideation, that deals with any of this, I know that you're alive today because there's a part of you that wants to be alive. That was something I came to terms with. When, when you're thinking of this, it's like, okay, but why, <laughs> why am I still alive then? Because there's a part of me that actually believes that it will get better. It might be a very, very tiny, small, tiny part, but there is a small part of me that believes that it could get better. And I held on to that part and, and, and just fed it, watered it. It was like a a seed, just kept watering it, watering it, getting help, getting resources, going to group therapy, talking, speaking out loud, writing about it. All of the things that I could do, um, seeking healers, being in my community, my chronic illness community. And I created that. You, there's no reason why you can't, you know, create a, a mini group, even on Instagram of like 10 people or five people. I have a, another mini one. There's only three of us. And we share, um, we share like uh, positive affirmations. Um, but yeah, my chronic illness group, I created on my own. And I remember this one guy who was kind of gross. That's why I didn't want him in it. But he, um, he was a male comic and he was like, oh, I wish equality really meant equality because like you're only allowing women in this like why can't we be in it um which I hear too about uh we have a Latina WGA group that several women put together and it's funny whenever the men are kind of like why and I'm like well go make one (laughs) we saw a whole go have the the gumption and the drive to just y'all really need each other out of everyone that really needs each other (laughs) y'all need to be talking to each other y'all need to be helping each other the machismo and the y'all need some healing with amongst each other so please do mentor we created a mentor group i'm literally a mentor to multiple other women in the wga because we we saw a hole and we filled it we are some of the least represented least paid women in this business we saw that we are paid less than our male counterparts this is not a us versus them thing i'm just saying we saw holy shit there's a problem here and we're gonna fix it so we put it upon ourselves and then so it's funny to me whenever men when i created this chronic illness group whenever men are like why can't i be in it i'm like you have other things to deal with so you talk about it i think it was just that i didn't want men who are trying to fuck me who are gross and in my dms commenting on my health shit and so yeah so that's all to say like please do um please do create your own space. If you're like, this sounds great. I'm going to make a little, you'd be surprised how quickly it blows up. If you even put like 10 people in a little chronic illness group, they, they suddenly have a friend, they meet someone at work who wants to join. And like, 
we were all in there sharing resources. Everybody is dealing with this. So yeah. yeah, that is my thing. Don't wait for someone to make it. You can make the group. You can make the community. And I find it interesting that people talk a lot about, you know, you as a writer, you as a as an actor, you as a creator. But this is where I I really um, really find to be such a strong aspect of you as a creative is your activism for this aspect of being a creator because it's something that you know it's either we don't talk about it because our parents don't experience it or they don't really know how to talk about it with us because it, it mm-hmm. just depends on the generation of, of a parent that you have yeah um you know latinos and hispanics unfortunately um, have parents that are predominantly not communicative on health. I'm not saying all of them, but it's a very prominent thing. So when we have yeah. these moments where it's like, hey, you know, um, you know, going through going through chronic pain, going through menopause, going through like the changes in your bodies after once you get to 30, um, I I found such solace in in having my parents there because they were in the medical field. So they're like super communicative to me <laughs> They're They were in the medical field. So I have that, but I know that like these, like you said, these groups and, and these things that just, if you want to build a community, just build a community. And I find that to be just something as a, like this light in a port that you are for us. Women. Oh, thank you. You're so vocal and strong about it that it just, it adds this like courage within us um to just feel really safe and and i will just say that from my experience with you you know talking about my chronic pain um i talk about it with my parents but it's so different when you're talking about it with with a peer and and like your parents are Mm -hmm. like hey we're trying to take care of you versus your peer who's like no girl like i'm dealing with it too and this and this is like just the frustration and things i do and that is so important like you can be that person um, anyone who's listening, mm-hmm. you can be that person. You don't need to have a huge platform to be that person. No. You can be that person for your community. Mm-hmm. So how do you feel engaging in activism in a way that's a lot less showy, per se? I think it's just because I'm going through it. <laughs> so I think, you know, it's so funny for anyone that I was, st- I still will do little stuff here and there on Twitter, but I like to, I like to post affirmational posts. It's one of my favorite things to do. And a lot of times people will will reply and say, how did you know I needed to hear this? And the answer is always because I needed to hear it. Anything I'm posting is something that I needed a reminder of that I needed to hear and is probably something I literally just wrote down in my journal as a reminder to myself. But yeah, I think I think that's why it's probably not showy even though I have a big platform is because like I'm in pain alongside you I'm healing my childhood wounds I'm you know a suicide survivor I've dealt with yeah uh, sexual abuse I've dealt like all of the things we have I have the resume that's what we used to joke about in um in my crisis treatment anytime someone new came in it was like you had to. Re- we had to tell them, "Oh, I'm here because oh, my dad and the, and this, and I have a, a past eating disorder, and I had a suicide attempt, and I have this and that." And it was like you're listing off all the things, <laughs> and it's. But the funny thing is, is that you're just there with everyone else who has the same list, you mm-hmm. know. And there's, 
I think that's why I've removed so much shame. There's so much shame, I think, for anyone to just admit this out loud, to even just, you know, now now that I've been so vocal about the things I've dealt with, um, they seem like second nature. Whereas for the first time for someone to ever admit, oh yeah, I also had an attempt. I know what it's like to say that out loud for the first time or to even realize it. Some people don't even realize some of their past behaviors that they might've done in middle school or high school were self-harm. Yeah. You know, um, cause it just, see, we just didn't talk about it, you know? Yeah. And I'll hear, same, same with, I want to talk about abuse too. And like, sometimes I hear stuff and people are like, yeah, but I wasn't abused. And I'm like, oh, um, <laughs> uh, well, hearing that like story, you're awkward, um, you're awkward turtling, like, <laughs> uh, how do I feel about this? Because it's such a, it's such a hard line because it's like, Mm-hmm. You want to help others because there's this there's this thing in at least in myself, you know, I used to be really bad and that's why I asked about the trauma dumping because I used to be so bad. So bad. You would trauma dump? I would trauma dump <laughs> all the time. Because I was mm-hmm. I felt like like if I trauma dumped, then there's nothing that you can get at me. I've already told you yeah. everything bad about myself and I accept it. Um and you can't use that as a weapon against me. And that's how I treated trauma dumping. I'm like, you can't, you can't say, oh, she's, she's, and I would even do this on dates because I'm like, no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. You're not going to come at me like two years later going, oh, I didn't know that about you. Uh, like that, that look and that like otherness that gets, that's very, very clear. And it was so hurtful um, when it would happen that eventually I was just like, no, 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 no. I'm going to tell you all this shit right on the first date could give a shit what your problems are because I am not going to let you lie to me about about who you are as a person and then Mm. get get like then lanchar me like get me (laughs) and then like throw me off the boat later because you just found out I'm damaged and I Mm. would constantly talk about myself that way I would be like oh I'm damaged goods I am one of the misfit toys I am broken (laughs) nobody wants me like there is like I look cute but there's something wrong with me And it took a lot of time to be like, no, this is my story. If I want to out somebody, I'll do it if I feel like it. But at this point in my life, because I was very like certain people really kind of like tried to push me to out. Yeah. And I could feel it like they were like they were trying to get me to out them. And I'm like, why? Why are you trying to do this? Like that was very confusing. But it was because, again, it's like that story of trauma is their leverage at you to try to get you Mm. to emotionally respond. And I eventually just absolutely negated it, but it messed me up for a few days. And it, and it was, it was, it's kind of like one of those things. Yeah. So if you want to know why I would trauma dump on a first date, I would trauma dump because it would be like, I'm going to tell you all of, all of the people who hurt me and all of these things so that you won't hurt me. Clearly, if you heard all of this stuff about, oh, she's already been cheated on. Oh, she's already had this happen. Oh, she's, I won't do that to her. And they still did. (laughs) And so it's a false safety. Yeah, it's so I would do that. I would be very upfront uh, on the first date about it, thinking, and that that's you know our and and so there's a lot of grace there. Obviously, that's our younger selves trying to protect. That's literally a protective measure, mm-hmm. 
and yeah, that's, that's, I think it's just having, having the grace. I want to say too, when you were like, oh, that's my story. A place that I'm at now is that was my story. I'm just so, I felt forever. Like I was a sick girl. Like when I had my GoFundMe and was like asking for, like, I was always sick. I was like, and that only became recent. I wasn't the sick kid, you know? There was someone that was like, oh, it felt like you were always sick growing. I was never that person growing up. But in my 20s, I was like the sick, you know, the person that's like, oh, there's always something wrong with them. There's always, they're always, okay, what is it now? Her car, she has a flat. Okay, now she has to go to the doctor. Okay, now she can't pay rent. Like, that was me. I was that person that just had, always had the bad luck. That was me. Um, And that was me. (laughs) And that's not me anymore. And I think there's a lot of power in being like, okay, yeah, I don't want to be that person anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be known. I want to be known for the full spectrum, and I am. As much as I talk about being a survivor, I don't think that's the first thing people think about me. Even being a writer, I don't even know if that's the first thing people – everybody thinks something different about me when when they hear Danny Fernandez. Like, it's mm-hmm. a different thing for everyone, and that's great. That means I've done my job. Fashion queen. <laughs> that's what I think of. Fashion. But fashion, I'm able fashion. to – but I've done it in such a way where I'm able to be so open about all of the things, and yet I'm still not – oh, she's the one that did – oh, she – you know, I'm still – I have range, yeah. <laughs> and that's great. And I think that's just from the sheer – none of that stuff changed. My history is still my history. I still am a trauma survivor. I still – all of that – but I think I just changed how I carried myself and how I talked about it and the healing work that I've done. And I'm unwilling to have that be the only part of my story. And so I started to say like, yeah, that was my story, but what if I was the girl that things did work out for? I just started to delusional. Do you know how many people in this business are delusional? <laughs> um, <laughs> learned, we always joke, have the confidence of a mediocre white guy have the delusion of a mediocre white guy. And I did. I started to be, what if it just worked out for me? Yeah. What if today it worked out? Yeah. And it slowly started to work out more and more. Doors started to open. And I wanted to go back to um, when we were talking about your worth, about like not putting your worth in your work. The irony of that, when you start putting it just in yourself of who am I? I don't need this job. I want this job. It would be fun if I had this job. I don't need this job. It doesn't mean that I'm a piece of shit or a failure if I don't get it. The funny thing is, you often get it. If you're able to be in that state, (laughs) that is the whole lesson. That is the truth is when you're able to let go and put your innate worth in yourself and not in something that pays you you suddenly start getting paid more. You suddenly start, because then people are like, holy shit, they can tell. You carry yourself differently. You come into auditions differently. You perform. She's just giving you guys the glitch to the matrix. It's the glitch. It's the glitch to the I'm matrix. I'm not fully y'all. there. I'm getting there. I'm yeah. getting there. But my, I have a friend. I, I don't know if I'm allowed to tell his story, so I'll just, I'll tell it very quickly and I'll, I'll hide some of it. But he was leaving acting. Mm-hmm. He was just not booking anything. He's very talented, as are a lot of us. And it's like, why? Why? I don't understand. I'm doing all this stuff. He, super talented. And he left. He decided to do one of those exchange, the apartment exchange, where like someone comes and lives in your apartment for a year and you go live in their apartment. So he was literally leaving. Um, and then he got an audition for one of the biggest TV shows in the world. And he told his agent, like... <sighs> I'll do this audition because you got it for me and I don't want to be rude. 
but I'm literally moving. Like my plane leaves tomorrow. He said he came into that, that audition, did not give a shit. It's like the one audition where he was like, I don't need this. I'm literally not going to be an actor anymore. And he booked it, changed his life. He's been on the series for like five seasons, one of the biggest shows in the world. And it was because he realized I don't fucking need this. This isn't worth like me putting my worth of like, I have to have this. I have to have this. And it means something about me that I'm not getting this. That's the problem. He was always talented. He didn't suddenly become talented in that audition. <laughs> you know, it didn't change overnight. He was always it like was that. just that he was always like that. And that happened with my show. So the show that I sold, I wrote that script in 2017. It didn't change. I didn't suddenly become a professional writer in 2019 when I sold it. The script was the same over the years. I just didn't give a fuck. I was too tired. That's that's honestly how it comes to a lot of us is we just end up being too tired. <laughs> and then our manifestation comes through because we're too tired to hold on anymore. And the universe is like, we finally loosen our grip. And so what's on the horizon for you? Now that we've manifested like a mediocre white man, what is on the horizon <laughs> for you? Having, I'm just saying being delusional. Why not yes. be delusional that things will work out for you? Believing they won't has has only gotten you this far, so you might as well believe they will. Be delusional about it. I think that's the biggest, one of the biggest tricks to being successful. Um, and is having like a childlike wonder and believing that maybe it can't back when we were little, Christmas time, whatever, believing that things could work out. Um, I have a horror short that I wrote and starred in uh, called In the Static. I'm really excited about it. It's going to be going out to festivals. Um, yeah, I just shot something with my friends. Oscar Montoya is in it. He plays my brother. He's in Minks. Chris Renfro, who is in Queer as Folk, is also in it. Uh, Camille Corbett. Um, a lot of great people in our community. Ben Lopez, uh, he helped fund part of it. So I'm very thankful to him. I just... We got to look out and help each other. I was telling him this idea I had and he was like, this might be crazy, but I kind of want to just give you the money to help you do this. <laughs> and so we did it. You know, it was the funniest thing, if you give me money, we sh like we shot it within a month. He was like, whoa, you really did this. I was like, look, if you're going to give me money, I'm going to do it. More people should give me money because I will do the thing. A lot of people would be like, oh, well, it has to be it has to be perfect. And I have to I was like, no, we're we're where are we shooting this in my manager's office it's, it's a office thriller shot there got my friends who uh the actors all did it for free you know um it was very we did it on a very low budget no budget but uh we did it and it, everyone kind of came together and it's great and I love it and I'm excited that people will see it and I also just made it <laughs> myself wrote it myself we say that so much if you want to see yourself, write yourself. And some of us are actually doing that. So I know that you can too. I did not go to school for TV and film. Like I said, I didn't get into the journalism program. I went into kinesiology. That was the other side of that story. I was in exercise science. I worked in cardiac rehab um, in PT. And I taught myself how to write by reading scripts. You can teach yourself how to write by reading scripts. The Abbott Elementary script is online. Insecure script is online. I bet everything everywhere all at once is online. Anytime they're up for awards, you can typically find them online. And what's important about that? Well, I mean, just teaching yourself. One, you're not thousands of dollars in debt <laughs> like I am with my <laughs> bachelor's degree um, that I don't use. 
but I still love UT being a Longhorn. Um, you can literally, but yeah, you can literally teach yourself. And if you're an actor, you should definitely be a writer because you're reading a lot of scripts. I mean, I, I'm slowly t- starting to teach more actors how to write um, just because they're frustrated about the lack of roles for them and the lack of roles for us. And you get so many scripts. How many scripts have you read having to be an actor? You can teach yourself how to write. Um, there are a lot of showrunners, not a lot. There are some showrunners in this business who never show ran anything in their lives and they show ran some of the biggest <laughs> properties. Um, and that's why I don't have uh, imposter syndrome. I don't. I loved how I watched the Oprah and Quinta interview and they talked about how they don't have imposter syndrome. And I swear the longer you're out here in this business, you will not have imposter syndrome because you will run into a lot of mediocre people. <laughs> um, and I, yeah. and I always think that's, that's funny because like you, you like in the entertainment field period, I, and it always comes up because everyone's like, Oh my God, the entertainment business is so huge. I'm like, to True. an extent, no. Like the people who are successful in the music in in, in the entertainment yeah. field, oh, that group is small. And if you even like brush aside them, True. that means you are not nobody. That means they will start to hear about you because if you have any, like it's it's happened over the last few months, and it just keeps tripping me out that mm. anyone knows who the hell I am because I come from Bronzeville, and I'm like, yo, they I don't even think they know where I live. Like for reals, I don't think anyone figured out where I live, but they know who I am, and that's just like one tiny step to them yeah. knowing where I'm from, and to me that's so important because how many times do you see you know certain regions just True. not properly yeah. represented? Will I get to a point? where the, it is represented correctly i hope so but for now just the fact that anyone like brushes upon me just randomly <laughs> i'm just happy about because it is a small mm. business it's a small community when right. you're successful and it does and and like you said it takes time but as you start like the imposter syndrome starts going away and you start realizing like wait i am I am mm-hmm. literally next to this person who is literally next to these people. I cannot be nobody if they're sitting in a co- like in a conference room with me having a full mm-hmm. ass conversation. Like these people don't associate themselves with everyone and their mom. And and that's just kind of like those things that it's like you just kind of got to let go. Let go and and you know let God whichever yeah. one you whichever one you believe in and just and just go for the ride. Um because yeah, the industry is a lot smaller yeah. than people realize. And so to wrap up this wonderful conversation um, with you, I would like to ask, like I ask all my guests, what is life accordion to you? <laughs> uh, I don't know if it's cliche to say happiness, choosing love. When you can choose love, choose love. That's my biggest thing. My, I have love. I've been trying to, this says love on it. I've been trying to wear more yellow, just brightness. And I have, oh, I think like a, this is from, oh, this is from House of Intuition, um, which is a Latinx owned uh, witch shop that I love and adore. We have several of them out here, but I have this love potion. See, it says love wins. Literally, I put it on myself before I go out and I'm like, I'm going to choose love today. 
and attract love. And you never know. Mostly I get open parking spots. That's my big. <laughs> Sometimes I make a new connection. you again and I've said this before um, to you to your face but I, I tell my audience listening today if you do not know who Danny is get to know who Danny is thank you so much Danny for joining us on the accordion to me podcast and as always everybody puro amor puro besos puro text mix bye thank you for listening to accordion to me the team behind this week's episode includes mixing and editing by Juan Pablo Diaz Theme music by Rodrigo Montalvo, produced by Javi G from MD Media. In-person recordings were done at the Potify Studios and remotely through Riverside FM. Accordion to Me is distributed through Anchor, and you can stream Accordion to Me wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'm your host and executive producer, Veronique Medrano. Puro amor, puro besos, puro texto.